Hello, good to have you with us on Red Barn Radio. I'm Bradford Becker. Tonight we continue in the 21st season of Red Barn Radio, and we welcome you to show number 818. Our guest this week is Rachel Bayman. With her 2017 debut album, Shame, Rachel composed songs about the American female experiences, songs that were both thoughtful and critical. Rachel has completed a couple more albums, or or at least a bunch more music since then, and the most recent being her release from not even three months ago called Common Nation of Sorrow. Originally from the Oak Park suburb of Chicago, Rachel Bayman at 18 went to study at Vanderbilt, and to play music and learn about how Nashville works. It worked for her, it seems, as she spent the last decade in steady demand as a musician in a wide variety of roles. For instance, Rachel has been called upon by the likes of artists like Molly Tuttle, who we just saw at Railbird, Kelsey Walden, and Casey Musgraves. Rachel is also engaged as a talented producer and arranger and has made her mark as a great singer and songwriter. Welcome Rachel Bayman to the Red Barn Stage. to WEKU, Red Barn Radio's official radio partner, NPR for Central and Eastern Kentucky. Listen online at WEKU.org. Red Barn Radio is presented with the support of LexArts, Lexington, Kentucky's cultural development, advocacy, and fundraising organization. 
FlexArts, working for the development of a strong and vibrant arts community as a means of enhancing the quality of life in Central Kentucky. And by Visit Lex, Lexington, Kentucky's Convention and Visitors Bureau. Planning to visit Lexington or just looking for more information? Visit Lex is on the web at visitlex.com. From the time she was a wee little person until her high school years, Rachel Bayman took music lessons with a teacher who taught her a range of ways she could play her chosen instrument, the violin. Her teacher urged her to listen and learn from others and also to compete in fiddle contests. Rachel really took to fiddle music. She made her mark in the bluegrass and old-time world for her work with the progressive acoustic duo Ten String Symphony and fiddle player Christian Settlemeyer. Rachel eventually embraced the longtime desire she had to write and produce more music of her own. In 2017, she released her first collection of songs on an album called Shame, produced by Andrew Marlin of Mandolin Orange. Shame was featured on NPR's Songs We Love and was called A Rootsy Wake-Up Call by world-famous Folk Alley. Rachel's new release, just out in March, is called Common Nation of Sorrow. We've caught her coming through Lexington, Kentucky on her tour supporting that album. Rachel Bayman has arrived tonight with some fellow players, Steve Hahn on bass and vocals and Zach Martin on drums. We bring you Rachel Bayman to Red Barn Radio.
the sun It's often I've wished for a loaded shotgun Our guest this evening on Red Barn Radio is Rachel Bayman. She's here with Steve Hahn, who is playing bass and singing beautifully with her. And then Zach Martin is back there on the drums. Zach, it's good to see you again. Zach has been here on Red Barn Radio before. Rachel, if you might just talk a little bit about Self Made Man, that might be a good starting point for you to sort of share some of the bigger viewpoints about sort of what's going on in our society and and how Self Made Man ties into that. Sure. A lot of this new record combination of sorrow is um, kind of about capitalism and the different kind of institutional structures that hold the majority of us back in a, the kind of the common aspect of the combination of sorrow was that I've been thinking a lot about the kind of social and um, kind of all of the different issues, political that we fight about amongst ourselves. And they are very important, but also there's kind of this reality that there's a small amount of people at the very top who are kind of taking and taking and taking from the majority of everyone else and everyone else is just fighting with each other about these other issues and everyone on top going, hee hee hee, that's kind of the image I get. So that's why I was like the (laughs) combination part is kind of important because um, it is about, you know, hardship and, and everything that we've been through collectively, but it's also about finding those commonalities within that hardship and, and kind of coming together in order to fight against the, the larger things that are really a problem as I see it. Okay. That was a lot, but anyway, that song is, um, well, I asked, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you did. I don't know. It's, it's a lot to summarize, but, um, that's kind of what a lot of these songs are rooted in for this, for this record. And that song self-made man is actually written from kind of a fragment of a song by the great John Hartford. And it, it's not hard to say like, Oh, um, everyone has help and there's no such thing as a self-made man but he always has a way of just phrasing it in such a fun and interesting way when he talks about these really important things so I loved that idea how many men do you think it takes to make a self-made man and I I really wanted to cover that song but it sounded quite unfinished to me the way that he did it it didn't have any different melodic parts so it was just one kind of one melody and no sort of distinctive hook or chorus or bridge or, or movement, um, and it was very short. So I took it upon myself to finish it, and uh, I did get the uh, blessing of his family and, and the Hartford oh, Estate, right. and it was an honor to be able to do that, and I feel so, like, attached to that song. And it's not a very common Hartford... Like, a lot of people haven't heard it because it's only on that one um, album, Radio John, which never was... It's no, no longer, like, commercially available. So oh. it's a very long answer to your short question. How many men do you think it takes to make a self-made man? How many people do you think he'll use to do the best he can? But have you watched his eyes when he deals you cause he you know the other players in his life? 
Have you ever seen the bones as classy? How old do you watch them when he sharpens his knife? How many men do you think it takes to make a self-made man? Do you think you want to sit around and play a part in the corner of a self-made life? Stand by side patiently, try to be his perfect little wife. Well, you tell him that he's done everything right and that he should never take the blame. For the people cast off and trampled on just because they got in his way. How many men do you think it takes to make yourself made man? Well, don't you wonder what he's thinking when he walked to life in the palm of his money stained hand? Don't you wonder how long before you kick your face down in the place where you thought he used to stand? How many men do you think it takes to make yourself made man? self-made man idea might be sort of is sort of a myth i mean our country i guess was built on that idea right yeah the idea maybe is the current way things play out is a little bit different from maybe the way it, it feels like i mean i know there's so many different ways to think of that i mean on the one hand it's like you can think of it just with all the people that have shown you love and compassion and support through your life and how that can be those huge stepping stones and the way that you're lifted up or not lifted up. But then there's also obviously the kind of economic way of looking at that. I mean, there may have been a time in this country where it was easier to be a proclaimed self-made man. But at this point, if you've ever been a musician trying to buy a house, you know that uh, (laughs) it kind of all (laughs) depends on who you've got with you in that process. And you can really see the difference, especially with people who are trying to make creative careers um, and you say wow how is you know x person able to do all of this stuff and build their career without making any money and this other person can't and it's because you know some people have support other support they're coming from positions where they you know and it's this isn't me pointing fingers it's just like we're kind of in a place where certain things are only available to people who are wealthy and that's gonna be a sad time for all of the art and music and great things that we lose out of that entrepreneurship and all these things. When you were growing up, did your family sort of spark 
this thinking and this view of the society and culture and communities that you lived in. Was your mom a social worker? Yeah, she works with um, adults with developmental disabilities. Ah, And what about your dad? And my dad is a a radical economist. (laughs) I would say spark is an understatement. I would say like hammer me over the head with these ideas would be more of the accurate description of well, yeah, so you, my yeah. family discussion. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, like, where I grew up, it was both privileged in certain ways and, and not privileged in other ways. I mean, on the one hand, I had this very educated family. Um, I was always given music lessons and kind of school support and all this kind of thing and love and security. But then there was times when, you know, my dad was out of work and we didn't have health insurance and mm. I had to go to the clinic so that I could get my physical for soccer practice and, like, we lived in kind of a wealthy neighborhood, but it was also like a very economically diverse neighborhood. And I saw a lot of things and I saw a lot of what I had and a lot of what I didn't have. And I never felt like I was lacking anything, but I definitely was very aware (laughs) of how things worked. And um, that only became more extreme when I went to Vanderbilt, you know, on a scholarship to this like crazy prestigious school and I felt like an alien I didn't even know where I'd landed so that was a real shift of perspective so yeah it's something I tried to kind of brush off as a kid and then it kind of came around to haunt me later yeah. was there a time that you remember like say as a teen when it got a little heavy oh yeah I mean definitely yeah. it's been very heavy but I think there was there was a phase where I was like cool well my thing's music and I'm gonna play the fiddle and um I kind of went into that because that was something that felt really positive and happy and it was a little bit of a break from the you know problems of the world but then um when I started writing songs it just all came out I was like where did this (laughs) you can't escape (laughs) where you where you grew up who you grew up with and the the things that are instilled in you you know Missy Brown a brother's old jeans and oversized cooking in a part of the seams. She was building corn castles for worms in the great Midwest. Was selling lemonade on the side of the road. She didn't know what it meant to move slow. She broke every record, aced every test.
Talk some about violin in your training and, and your teacher. You had a, a teacher. Yeah. It sounds like you were fond of this person and that he, he, she? He, yeah. Okay, um, that, his name was Mike Casey. He was a big mentor for me. I started taking violin lessons when I was four. It was just because my brother, I had an older brother. He was playing the trumpet and I got, you know, little sister jealousy and I, I uh-huh. wanted to play something. And I was so little. So my parents were like, well, you can't really, I mean, what are we going to do with you? So there was this guy around the corner who had a cheap violin studio, and it was easy. So like, okay, we'll try this guy. And, you know, it turns out it was a fiddle player from Missouri, you know, in Chicago. So you don't necessarily think that's going to happen. But no, he started teaching me fiddle tunes. And, you know, I learned to read music and stuff, but I definitely didn't have, like, a strict classical training or anything. And it was quite loose. And um, my parents had been big kind of folky fans, and they had met at a contra dance in New England. So they really understood fiddle music, even though they didn't play. Are they native New Englanders, your parents? Uh, My mom is from Massachusetts. My dad is kind of from, he was born in Israel, and he's kind of traveled all over the place. And Uh. he had kind of a crazy upbringing. So it's hard to say he's from anywhere. But he was there at the time in school, in Mm -hmm. graduate school, and they met at a contra dance. So as soon as I started playing fiddle, they were both like, ooh, fiddle's cool. We like fiddle. You should do that. And so, you know, they were really into it, and I kind of had a context for it. I studied with my teacher, Mike, until I was 18, until I left, and I started with fiddle, and then he eventually was like, you know, you should learn some guitar, it'll help your fiddle playing, and then he's like, you should learn, then I wanted to learn banjo, and so we sang some songs, he just gave me, like, the foundation, you know. Did he teach you uh, contest uh, guitar? No, (laughs) I can't really play contest (laughs) guitar, although I enjoy, I enjoy playing with it, you know. I bet you do. It's, it's uh, fun. Someday set me free And I'd like to know the meaning of truth 
Remember the first time you were like holding a check from a fiddle contest and oh, how proud checks, you were? And those checks got me through many years. My brother was working at the pizza shop. I was like, ha ha ha, from a little fiddle contest checks just riding me out through the years. So yes, I very much remember that. <laughs> I don't remember the checks being that big. You don't need a lot when you're nine years yeah, old. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> was there a time that you recall where you felt like, okay, I don't know if the fiddle contest thing is what I want to do anymore. I mean, I went to a lot of fiddle contests yeah. myself, not to not to uh, compete myself, but I went to a lot of them and it struck me that there were a lot of people who were sort of getting those checks every time, like always winning the awards, but they were sort of like the kids who were taught to hit 23 pointers in a mm. row, but don't even know how to dribble. These guys who would just go in there and, you know, boys and girls who would go in there and memorize these tunes, yeah. but didn't know anything about like improv or it's playing with other one, people. It's definitely a one-dimensional way to play music. Um, and I think you can, absolutely, you can be a phenomenal musician and perform very poorly in a contest and vice versa. It didn't take up a huge part of my uh, image of self-worth, the contest aspect, you know? It's yeah. just something that I, that I did for fun and just to meet other kids that were playing. But I definitely had a moment with um, fiddle when I was able to go down to there's a camp outside of Nashville that was run by Mark O'Connor and when I was a teenager and I was getting really into it my mom took me down there for a week and um, I heard so many like such a broad variety of fiddle styles that I had never heard before with the things that remind me your dreams now behind me conveniently hidden from sight with more Red Barn Radio after this break. Red Barn Radio, Roots Music, Southern Style. We'll be right back.
Once it was written, the machine had grown smitten, yeah, the stone said that I would go far. But the dog still needs feeding, and with the entirely meeting, I stop counting on my lucky stone. Welcome back. This is Red Barn Radio, recorded live from the Arts Place Performance Hall in Lexington, Kentucky. Red Barn Radio, roots music, southern style. See 
Steve, how long have you been playing with Rachel? I've been playing with Rachel, I think, like two years now. We met through a mutual friend of ours who uh, was taking fiddle lessons with Rachel, I think, and then Rachel lost her previous bass player to uh, a solo project (laughs) that that bass player was doing, and she was like, does anybody know a bass player who can sing harmonies? My Uh. friend was like, I know one. So that's how we met. About me, I don't know. I'm from the Midwest as well. I'm from Indianapolis. I moved to Nashville like eight years ago and just been loving it. So is this a role that you have played in other ensembles? The guy who plays bass and does background vocals oh, or that harmony role. vocals? Yeah, definitely. It's it's kind of become my uh, wheelhouse, I guess. Oh, yeah? You get two for the price of one. What other kind of projects do you do? Oh, man, I play with so many different people, it's hard to count. I play stuff on Broadway in Nashville occasionally. I play with indie, you know, rock artists, and I play sessions sometimes. It's just kind of whatever comes through the door that day, so. How long have the two of you been out on the road? Have you been playing also with drummers elsewhere? This particular album cycle, we have done, I think, about 50 shows since March. Um, Oh, We've been hitting it very hard. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot <laughs> of shows. And Steve has been on all of them, and then we've had certain configurations. We've had some full band shows, some trio shows. Zach here is from Lexington, and we had had the great pleasure of playing with him twice before, so I thought, ooh, special treat. Let's get Zach on yeah. this show. We've been kind of having fun doing that a little bit. I love playing with the full band. I love doing playing duo. I love playing trio. It's really fun to kind of have the chance to make it fresh you know, each time you change up the configuration. So since we've been kind of going all over, we we did a whole tour in the UK. We were in Australia in January. We had a full band with two Australian musicians and Steve and I when we were in Australia. And so it's it's been really awesome. And I have a, um, a drummer named Lauren Horrible, who I play with a lot, um, who's in Nashville. And Jacob Gertman usually plays guitar. That's kind of my main full band, but we can't always take them out the full band on the road so it just depends on how big the shows are and you know when I got to Georgia there was nothing but 
like that you've given yourself permission to devote time to thinking and writing, and I'm talking about your the substack that you call the Weekly Croissant that is available listeners to subscribe to at Rachel's website. Tell what it is that you set out to do when you started it, and then uh, I, I think it would also be fun for you to give uh, maybe a, a teaser, tell people it's like a fun story. that You, t- you should tell a, give a little teaser for the cabin rental oh the story, okay. right? i'm just thrilled that you have been reading the croissant oh, we had a on. little exchange where i was asking we had some pizza and i was like oh does somebody have some bourbon because i need to like clear out this <laughs> singing voice and you said now rachel is that a thick desire or a thin desire and i was blown away because that was a direct reference to a croissant post that i had made about a writer named luke burgess who's kind of really helped me with my thinking and it's crazy when you do things on the internet you don't realize that people actually read them and yes we exciting. do sometimes we do. <laughs> i mean you do some really thoughtful stuff right where you talk about a new poet that you've discovered yeah. you reflect on recording you reflect on writing and I, I love all that but you know it's also really wonderful just to hear about the the day-to-day experiences that you have that Thank aren't you. necessarily even associated yeah, with I did music stray. So how- i've been straying so the mission with the croissant was to kind of do more writing about art and creating art and things that were inspiring me and trying to be a little bit more focused on things I'm reading and just basically trying to train my brain to be a little bit more long form so rather than just like social media short form to be like no like dig into something think about it write about it you know and it is fun because I like being able to share with people also in a more thoughtful way than just like a snap but um sometimes I just want to share a story as you said so the most recent post was about a trip I did with my husband who's been I think his name is George Jackson. I think George he's Jackson, been on here. who has been on, on Red, Red Barn, Barn Radio. Radio twice. Um, yeah, we love George. <laughs> we do. We love George. George and I were both, we both had tours out in Colorado. So whenever our tours like intersect, we uh, try to like plan a little trip or something because we spend a lot of time apart. So we try to take advantage of it. And I being, you know, we're two musicians. We're on a budget. So I'm like, what can we do oh, for no. fun? And Hold on, Rachel, don't tell the story. Oh, you have to get people to go and read okay, it. Okay, never mind. So give a little teaser. No, just give a little teaser. Give, give us the teaser. So, uh, if- so we did. We Okay, here's the teaser. We rented a cabin for $13. That will get you interested. Now, you'll have to see why it was $13. <laughs> um, the, the weekly croissant. Yeah, the weekly croissant. Which okay, is I want to get it. Rachelbayman.substack.com. I'm not very good at wearing colors. You're not very good at holding back. When we go out walking, Folks must think you with the man in black Now where are you going without me? Why are you going so soon? We've got so much ground to cover I want to be there when you blue I want to be there when you If you're gonna run up the mountain back to the bottom, you don't 
some things that you've written about your thought process when you're putting music together and creating music. As you progressed and you came to where you are now, instead of thinking about that end result, I guess, that you were more interested in the process, allowing some of the, the humanity and imperfections and whatnot to kind of come through. Does that accurately yeah. describe maybe That's the difference between shame and your current one? Yeah. I think with shame, I mean, that was my first kind of songwriter project that I put out you know um, was that a big leap for you yes I mean I was writing songs for 10 string symphony and we were recording them and performing them but it was very much about the context like that was such a um heady instrumental band that the songs were kind of part of a larger arrangement it wasn't all about the song it was about the song and the fiddles and the harmonies and like we all did covers as well, right? We did covers, yeah. So it wasn't, and it definitely wasn't about like me having a voice as a songwriter. It was about the band having a voice, which yes. is, you know, as it should be. When I was writing the songs for Shame, I was more, I just, I wrote a few of them and I thought, you know, this feels like something I really want to say personally, because some of them were so kind of personal to me and especially very like personal to my experience as a female. And um, I wanted to just really have a chance to kind of do them on my own and, um, 
also have the chance to kind of throw any kind of instrumentation that I wanted to at them, which in 10-string symphony, it's like the beauty and the challenge of that band is that we always kept it so limited to our duo with fiddles and or I was playing a banjo. So it was like, that was what made it cool. So we didn't want to mess with that. But then you really miss the bass sometimes and the drums yeah, and the guitars. Right. And when I took on this new record, you know, I had the role of producer. So it's very different. And I um, was really thinking a lot about, okay, now I'm comfortable with myself. I'm comfortable with my performances. Being comfortable is not the same as, you know, not wishing you were better, but it's like, you just you come to a place where you're like, I'm here, this is me, this is now, this is how I sound, and that's kind of what you want to record. You don't want to record trying to be something else. Yes, you right. Know? Well, I know that scared quick I'll come and stay And I know that you'll be wheel Giving something too heavy in my chips they'd be plenty
all calm and steady And sometimes I might try to lift If something too heavy Thanks to WEKU, Red Barn Radio's official radio partner, NPR for Central and Eastern Kentucky. Listen online at WEKU.org. Red Barn Radio is presented with the support of LexArts, Lexington, Kentucky's cultural development, advocacy, and fundraising organization. LexArts, working for the development of a strong and vibrant arts community as a means of enhancing the quality of life in Central Kentucky. And by Visit Lex, Lexington, Kentucky's Convention and Visitors Bureau. Planning to visit Lexington or just looking for more information? Visit Lex is on the web at visitlex.com. Red Barn Radio's executive producer is Ed Commons, who also directs our show. The Red Barn Radio playout theme, Wookie Foot, was taken from a live performance of the Wooks here on Red Barn Radio. More at wookoutamerica.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Kathy Stamps. There are so many people to thank for our program. First, uh, yeah, Rachel and Steve for your beautiful playing and singing this evening, and Zach for backing it all up. We're also grateful for our volunteers and staff who make our production happen so beautifully each and every week. We want to thank all of you for listening to our webcast, watching us on social media, and those listening to us on the network of Red Barn stations and media worldwide. Red Barn Radio comes to you from our home, the Arts Place Performance Hall in downtown Lexington, Kentucky. Our website has updates and further information on our guests and our program. We're on the web at redbarnradio.com. And now before we close out tonight's program, let's bring back Rachel and Steve and Zach for one more tune. Well, thank you so much for having me, and big thanks to uh, Steve and Zach for playing with me in them. I'm going to leave you with this song, the closer off the new album. It's called Ways of the World. Honey, you're as pure as glass. And I can see you made a crack. And the way you like your words to be. So put your troubles all on me. Things that I have said and done But things that I am not proud of You, my dear, have just begun So let me shield you in my love Ooh, the way Break your heart. There are places that you will go for lands that I will never know. And you say a million beasts, and your troubles they will never cease. And now you.
sleeping in my own Nothing here can do you harm It's where I'd like your world to be So put your troubles all on me Red Barn Radio, Roots Music, Southern Style, the best music from the roots of the South, and sharing this music with the world. 